welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. And it is a new year. It's a new him. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Happy 2021. Danny, did you make any resolutions? I, you know, I made a, a resolution to be a little bit better of a person and, you know, maybe not storm the Capitol. How about that? What's what's it what's it entailed to be a better person? Um, you know, the just, Denny Gallagher gems of wisdom for this year. I think, you know, not pr- posting anything problematic online. Um, and you know, just being charitable. How about that? Being charitable. That's being a good person. I like that. It's yeah. a mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, you know, nothing too specific. Yeah. More just continuing on the quest I'm always on, which is the, uh, you know, acceptance of self, the foregoing of your sense of identity, Mm. uh, understanding what's important. And I think specifically staying inside of moments, uh, you know, not not existing before, not existing after, just existing inside of every uh, minute that's happening you know there's a good time for that movie soul to come out oh yeah you saw that over the break we had here oh i've seen it a few times i cried in front of my children oh wow did you did you see it did you cry i saw it i was a little confused in the first 20 minutes but then (laughs) once it really got going i was so into that movie yeah man pixar pixar doesn't make kids movies anymore this is straight up adult shit i mean I think they're they're doing a good job of towing towing the line there. Yeah. You know, um, it definitely leaves like a parent in a position where you got to be prepared to explain and explain thoroughly. And like, you got to have a game plan before you watch a movie like that with right. little kids, because yeah. you don't want to just like toss an existential crisis on a toddler. <laughs> you know, like if they're not having it yet. You know, let them enjoy their childhood a couple more years yeah. if you can. You know, <laughs> they don't have to see uh, cloudy black souls running around that are bogged down by their problems. You know, they don't really understand the hedge fund manager being <laughs> too consumed with stock prices. All they see is the creepy black soul with long arms running around going, <laughs> you know. And they don't see uh, the, the fact that apparently the afterlife has been messing with the Knicks for years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, listen, Disney did it to me. I still haven't gotten over Mufasa dying. <laughs> I saw I saw the cover up of Mufasa's murder as a small child. I never trusted. I never trusted anyone again. Disney ruined it. I'm like the same way with Snow White that that witch just kind of stand outside of the house that kind of messed me up and then when you get to the staying home alone portion of life it's like fuck that witch is outside the entire time yeah there's some shit going on at disney i i know people want to look into it uh (laughs) but there's a thing there there's a thing (laughs) all right well for the first time in 2021 let's get into this day in music history on this day in 91 uh sean lennon then 15 years old sean lennon remade uh his father's give peace a chance to coincide with the un's midnight deadline for iraq to withdraw from kuwait 
So a very like politically motivated move for a 15 year old. The the idea was brought up by Lenny Kravitz. They secured the rights to the song, got Sean Lennon and Yoko Ono on board within like eight days, remade it with people like Tom Petty and Peter Gabriel and LL Cool J. And it went on VH1 and MTV. One of those really nice things. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is how in the course of (laughs) my life, how little stuff like this does, because it was overshadowed quickly by UN airstrikes against (laughs) Iraq, which began on January 16th, uh, following with the uh, ground invasion. So the song didn't work. But uh, it was a nice effort. And I thought it was impressive that a 15-year-old Sean Lennon was the one that uh, that put this together in like nine days with, with Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. That dude is cool uh, and has, has, good, has a lot of receipts, a good track record, you know? Oh, that's great. You know, he's kind of like uh, the Greta Thornburg of the 90s. Maybe. Yeah. I think it's time for another give piece a chance. Maybe... Uh, who do we let have a stab at this one? Drake? <laughs> give beats a chance. Give 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 beats a chance. What would it be like Afrobeat? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Do you mind if I get personal for uh th- today's this day in music history? Nah, man. It's your forum. All right, cool. So unfortunately. And I'm going to try not to say this, like, happily, but on this day, five years ago, my dad passed away. And, you know, mm. you, I don't really think in terms of, like, music, I'm doing this pod and anything pop culture if, if it wasn't for him. Ironically enough, my dad and my mom met promoting shows at the Jersey Shore back in the day in, like, Asbury and, like, like the yeah. Neptune City area. And then, you know, just go bring me to concerts and stuff like that. Really kind of introduced me to kind of a, like, he was into everything, but more of, like, like, like a folksy side of music. Big Harry Chapin guy. Um, so, like, that kind of, uh, you know, like, like folk storytelling really got me into that at a young age. And then, ironically, at the end of his life, got into, like, like new age and, like, world music. So, like, in my childhood... A lot of Yanni going on in the car, right. so like it's all, all right. over the place. The music trying to taste. chill it out. Yeah. So, like I said, five years ago, ironically, one of the first uh, you know like festivals we ever went to was Bamboozle that you guys played in 2012. So how about that? Oh, that's an honor that you uh, you and Pops saw me play. I yeah, love that. Man. That was a good show. What? That was right before Handwritten, right? Yeah, sounds about right. Nice. Well, hats off. To uh, Mr. Gallagher, the the legacy lives on. You do a radio show with a a D list. Oh come on, rock and roll musician. At least C list. At least C. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to be proud. No, that's awesome, Denny. Thanks for that. I appreciate yeah, it. Of course. All right, so it's been a busy 2021 already, but we are preeminently a basketball show. I know in the music genre. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, but we are a basketball show, and Benny, stuff happened this week. You know, I know oh, that there yeah? was a lot of things happening, 
capital related, social media related, and we'll get into all that in just a little bit, election related. But the biggest news arguably of 2021 is the fact that James Harden, the beard, traded to your Benny Horowitz's <sighs> Brooklyn Nets. After a lifetime of suffering, you can finally say that on paper, at least, you have the best team in the NBA currently. And Benny, I just want to, you know, let you float on this for a little bit because there's a high ceiling for this, but I think there's an even lower floor for this. Yeah. All right. Well, let, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. As oh. you said. Okay. Do you want me to run down the actual trade before we get yeah. into this? Like the specifics? No, I, I mean, I know it in and out. We'll discuss it as we go. Okay. I mean, essentially what the big pieces are. Karis Lever is now a Pacer. Jared Allen is now a Cleveland Cavalier. Uh, selected scraps uh, and Victor Oladipo go back to Houston, including three future Nets first round draft picks and four pick swaps. Nets future first round uh, swaps, pick swaps. So obviously um, the Rockets are short betting the Nets, assuming that they'll have a year or two of contention and then these picks coming up in 24, 25, 26 will be very valuable. Who knows? Who knows if, I mean, the NBA needs a country to play in. So we'll see. I was even joking in my head. I'm like, all right, Sean Marks is from New Zealand. The owner is Chinese. I'm like, oh, are they just, this isn't a short bet against the Nets future. This is a short bet against America. They're like two more years tops. 2025 draft? Well, it's not even going to be a draft. No, um, that's a joke. I don't think that's going to happen. But all right. So let's, since there's so much to unpack, yeah. Let's start with the good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you now have three players on the same team with 24 all star appearances between them, 18 all NBA appearances between them. I imagine some of the setups with these guys, uh, Kevin Durant and Harden pick and roll. My goodness. Like, how do you defend that? If it's on the floor, um, the lineup now we're looking at, you know, Deandre Jordan is the starting center. Hopefully Nick Claxton slides back for some minutes soon, but I'm assuming we're going to have a lot of small ball lineups with Katie playing some center, Jeff green playing some center, um, and trying to float lineups like that. They still have some depth. I've been hearing people say, ah, oh, they have no depth. They they kept on the Spencer Dinwiddie, which is big for next year. Um, they they have his bird rights. And I think at least, at the very least, we'll have Spencer Dinwiddie next year. Joe Harris, I mean, talk about a guy who's about to just, you know, he created a role for himself and he became even a better player than he's going to need to be mm. in this new situation. And you give me a guy like Joe Harris sitting on the outside, just eating up wide open threes, <laughs> pretty much 30 minutes a game. I'll take it. Uh, Bruce Brown in small doses already so far this season has shown to be he's he's a perimeter deficient player on offense, but he's a very good uh, on the ball defender. He's tough. He rebounds. He's an interesting two guard who can handle and play a little point. Um, I think he's versatile and will help the team a lot. Uh, we still have Cabarro. We still have 
Landry Shamit. We still have Jeff Green. So I think if you have those three players, you could make the argument that what the closest comp to a team like this might have been, you know, the Cavs or something in 17 or, or, you know, or a team like that. And I would argue that this team has as much depth, uh, if not more than that team. So this is uh, as far as a, a fit on the floor. That's a big question about this. And I don't think a comp exists in the history of the NBA. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody's talking big threes and, you know, let's go through the ones, the more famous ones in this context. Uh, Ray Allen and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Not this. Yeah. Bosh, Wade and LeBron. Not this. Durant, Steph, and Clay, not this. Um, There's never been a situation where these three in the big three are all ball handlers and all people who kind of get cooking uh, when they have the ball in their hands, specifically Harden um, in that capacity, because you've seen Kyrie play off ball before. um, But... I think that is a huge question mark is how it's going to fit and who out of that group is going to decide to take a different sort of role. Yeah. And that's going to have to be necessary. Someone is going to have to be okay. Taking less shots. Someone is going to have to be okay. um, Playing a little out of position. So that is a question mark. We don't know how it's going to be answered yet. Um, defensively, yeah. another big question mark. Uh, Harden, I think, is a super underrated defender, and he's he's certainly not below average. <clears throat> I think the issue you have here now is you look at this starting five, and more often than not, Kevin Durant is probably going to have to cover the most talented three or four on the opposing team any night, and that's a lot to ask out of him. I've been saying it since the start of the year. There seems to be a clear need for a perimeter defender of some sort on this team because they really just don't have one. Um, but I think those are some of the downsides. But let, let's talk Harden here a little. Uh-huh. Just just straight Harden, right? Super durable. He's played 78 games more than six times in his career. He doesn't get hurt a lot. He has no nagging injuries. Over the last seven seasons, he's uh, averaged over seven assists a game, 85% plus free free throw shooter. He, he has quick hands. He gets steals. He's strong. He can uh, body up on most threes, most fours. Like, everybody's talking right now, and we're talking, and we're talking, and we're talking, and we're going to say all the pluses and all the minuses but once you get these three guys on the floor together, this is sort of like an unparalleled, unnavigated thing in basketball. And I think uh, it's quick to um, to find all the things that won't work because we haven't seen this before. But these are three like really smart basketball players, winners, people who have gone to any lengths of championships and playoff runs and know what it takes to play winning basketball. And I don't think people are just like excited enough about this. Take away me being a Nets fan. Like this is fun. 
You know, this is fun for the league. And imagine on any given night, if you can manage to get these guys consistently on the floor together and engaged, the idea that like Kyrie Irving is going to be playing the third best defender on the floor every night, or James Harden is going to play the third best defender on the floor every night. I mean, these guys are going to eat fucking people's lunch. So, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. I have a couple more points, but let me hear a couple of thoughts. Thoughts from you. Yeah. So this is a hundred percent an insurance policy for Kyrie Irving. You know, yeah, it's been right. well made over the last couple of weeks how he's been kind of not absent from the team, but he has taken a, a step back for whatever reason. You can cite personal reasons all you want, and it's a situation where. You know, this guy did this in Boston. He did this near, near near the end of Cleveland. So with Kyrie Irving, it's all about commitment right now. With that being said, these three guys have some of the highest usage rates <laughs> in NBA history. Like, just flat out. Like, like you said, they need the ball in their hands. The interesting thing, and, you know, we've heard Chris Bosh say this about when he joined the big three in Miami, there's a huge difference when it comes to defining your role. Uh, when Bosch was in Toronto, he was taking 25 <laughs> shots per game, mm -hmm. right? When he got mm -hmm. to Miami, it was you get 15 shots a game. And the big difference between taking and getting mean uh, when you're taking, you're free, the offense is yours. When you're getting, that's going to require the coach, whether it be Spo in Miami or Steve Nash here, to be like 15 hard cap. Not to quote James Harden. And it's like a situation where if you're a superstar who's been doing this for a while, like James Harden, I don't know if you can accept that. Or Kyrie Irving. Like, imagine Nash tries to tell Kyrie Irving, hey, 15 shots maximum. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the guy most likely to l listen and, you know, take a step back would be Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant can't do that in Brooklyn. He came to Brooklyn to kind of change the narrative that he could be the guy on a championship team. This move does that for him. So if Kevin Durant is the only guy that's going to be selfless here, that's a huge problem and completely defeats the purpose of this move. Now, with that said, I think Harden, when he comes to Brooklyn, is going to be in tremendous shape. Kevin Durant and Harden, I have no questions about. That's going to work out great. Yeah. And quite frankly, I, I think now the Nets probably have more chemistry than most of the teams in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you look at a team like Milwaukee, they added a, a lot of pieces, really a whole new core outside of Brooke, Giannis, and Middleton. You look at the problems going on in Philadelphia. You know, they tried to trade Ben Simmons. Uh, that's allegedly fine now, but you can never really know. Uh, then you go up to Boston, a lot of injuries, a lot of Brad Stevens trying to figure stuff out. So when you can bring in guys that played together, uh, not only in the NBA, in KD and James Harden, but you bring guys that ha have Olympic experience and have won together, that's a huge plus. So I'm not sure how many teams currently in the NBA have this kind of chemistry. It may be like riding a bike, and they may need to figure it out a little bit. But I think once they figure it out, it'll be no bueno. Now, I, for the rest of, of the NBA, I should say, now the interesting thing here is um, and this is a perfect move for a shortened season because normally you would need the depth that they had, you know, losing a guy like Karis LeVert is huge. But when you have a, oh, what do we have, like 50 or, or some odd regular season games left 
before the playoffs. That is enough time to escalate this thing where they're gelling cohesively. So when you have a shortened season like this, bringing in another superstar is is huge. And I don't think they're going to miss having a guy like Allen. I, I know on the defensive end that's that's significant. But the longer a season goes, if they were going from October to June, I could see where all those pieces would be necessary. But if you're in win-now mode like the Nets now are, and you can add a superstar, you 100% do it right now. Great job by the Nets. And our guy Ryan Rucco tweeted this out the other day. Five years ago, the Nets, no assets, no anything. And in five years, they, uh, through strong front office decisions, they were able to leverage what they have into a big three. And the Nets have never been able to do this. And I can't stress this enough. You do a move like this, when uh, you really haven't had high-level success, and this move takes them there, and the window is now here, it's open, and quite frankly, I hope they get it because the New York sports scene needs this. I mean, the Knicks, Yankees, Giants, Jets, Nets, all of that stuff, not really relevant nationally. So I think it's a rebirth of sorts of a... Once proud, very ABA franchise, and I know the Nets had, had, had a run in the... <laughs> mid 2000s so to rejuvenate new york sports like this everyone's talking about the nets now and that's yeah. what this move is about but ultimately it's about winning championships that's right i i mean i think you bring up a couple strong points about this and things that are certainly true uh which is you know uh, on the surface you'd say this is a rookie coach who has to go tell Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving that they're going to have this amount of shots or this first off, Steve Nash knows better than that. Mm. Nobody's getting a hard cap on their shots. They're <laughs> certainly not being told like that. Um, it'll be, you know, put forth in a different way. And the one thing we have sitting there, that's a big part of this is Mike D'Antoni sitting on the bench who vouched for James Harden to come. And obviously has a connection and knows how to work with them. Like everybody there thinks this can work the players there think this can work so that's where uh you know james harden his usage rate like the team was built around that mm. do i think he ever has a season where he uh like 2018 where he has you know 26 shot attempts a game on average or something i don't think so i think that was kind of an anomaly uh and you know it was sort of the culmination of um the new era of basketball that the Warriors ushered in and James Harden kind of, you know, like no other person maximized more than anybody. So I, I do think it's a concern with shots and fit, but I do think that there is a road to it working and you have very much the right pieces in place to make it work. Uh, Secondly, for your other point that this trade was Kyrie Irving insurance, I think because of the timeline and the chronology of this, that seems to be 100% true. Um, you know, Kyrie goes missing for a week, two weeks, whatever's happening with him. And then all of a sudden, James Harden gets extra grumpy. You know, I don't know if that was a text from Kevin Durant. It might have been. And then before you know it, you know, there's this bidding war between, you know, Philly and Brooklyn. They literally overwhelm them with picks. Like, how could the Rockets say no? And to me, it definitely shows an indication that they were afraid. Um, 
Kevin Durant's not locked down for like the next five seasons, you know, um, last year was a wash while he was hurt and they simply cannot afford for two years of Kevin Durant to be a wash. Mm. So if you're about to go through the rest of this season with the best players on the team, aside from Kevin Durant being Karis LeVert and Joe Harris and Jared Allen, sure. That might be a good team. Mm. You know, they might be, fine but that team's not winning a championship they're not getting past the bucks i don't think they're not getting past the lakers or the clippers i don't think so i think that's what they had in mind was the idea that okay now Kyrie, obviously we want him we need him we want him to be here and but if he's not we still have james harden and kevin durant and that's good enough to get us through the east and i I think it almost certainly is. So I think you're 100% right that this was uh, Kyrie Irving insurance. There's no um, there's no answer for that. And the last thing Sean Marks could do was wind up in a year and a half with no championship, uh, no picks, and no Kevin Durant and no Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have Joe Harris and Jared Allen on fat <laughs> contracts and a bunch of like mid first round picks. So uh, I like that it got done. I'm increasingly talking myself into it by the minute. And the one thing I think people forget and we all we get into the analysis and we want to say, oh, ball dominant and people don't like James Harden necessarily. That's not me. Like the guy's never done anything that offensive that it's really bothered me. I mean, it's one of these weird lines we draw in sports when guys like Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Kevin Durant, they're all like particularly like crotchety sometimes, not the best interviews. Uh, you know, one is politically motivated. Uh, one is very known for his nightlife <laughs> antics, you know, but the one thing is like, have you ever heard about these people like beating their girlfriends you know, messing around with like, like doing all this awful shit that we're always like allowing to pass. You know, these guys didn't do anything that awful. You just maybe don't like them that much. What the fuck does it matter if James Harden goes out at night? I actually kind of respect it. You know, I'm, I come from a world where you need to perform drunk. Hmm. You need to perform hungover. You know, this is part of the game, baby. You know, you're not going to. Miami for two nights and not having a couple bevs and you still got to get out there and play and good for them. They still do. So I have no beef with it. It's just like everybody wants to hate, hate, hate. And you know what? Like, I just want to watch these three fucking guys play basketball together. Right. Yeah. Like simply put. No, I think that this is going to be a great thing for the NBA. And I don't think in the modern history of this sport, when we put three superstars together like this, it's a different mentality. Like, this isn't the Lakers trying to add, you know, like Carl Malone and like Gary Payton to no, eke out no. a championship out of Kobe Bryant. This is three legitimate superstars. You know, I can't stress how important James Harden not having a championship That's is right. to this whole thing. This That's guy's right. going to buy in to do whatever it takes. As you said, D'Antoni already there. 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of nightclubs in Brooklyn. I'm sure he'll, he'll be at some warehouse um, rave in like two weeks, even though it's against COVID protocol. The James local Har- economy <laughs> needs a boost. Exactly. Okay? Let James Harden toss singles all around New York City. It's good. <laughs> it's good for business, okay? He's closer to the Hamptons. I'm sure he can meet more women that are becoming bosses and take games off for that. Listen, no, it- you want to talk about trickle-down <laughs> economics? Oh, this is how it happens. This is the real way it happens. It's millionaires tossing 20s all over strip clubs. That's trickle-down economics, baby. I don't think New York City is ready for this. The fact that we could potentially have you know, Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Andrew Yang as mayor. Just Brooklyn's going to be <laughs> fucking wild. <laughs> and Joe Harris just in the back. Like... Just chilling. Just chilling. Oh, man. The final component that I want to bring up from this, I've made it perfectly clear my thoughts on LeBron James on this podcast, right? I like him as a player, but I love when people make a situation that gets in the way of him (laughs) chasing Michael Jordan, and the Nets did just that. I'm all in on this. I love it. And quite frankly, the fact that, you know, it's not a given that LeBron's going to get his fifth this year, and the fact that Brooklyn is in the way, can't get enough of that. And listen, I mean, I don't know if people have been watching the Nets the last few weeks, but Kevin Durant is back and he looks good and he is motivated and he is the alpha dog of that team. And it's pretty obvious. So I don't know. It's going to be a fun season. I just hope everyone stays uh, stays healthy. (laughs) Final thought on this. How long do you give this team staying together? Two, three years? I mean, there's so much dependent on that. Um, but by the nature of the contracts and how many opt-ins and opt-outs and stuff like that, I would guess we get one to two years of this current lineup, Mm. but I do think we get an extended period of two of these guys. Yeah. I think that's kind of the plan. Uh, and that's the way you keep yourself out of draft pick hell in like 2025. Mm. Um, but like Ruko said, Part of the reason I'm not too nervous is the fact that I watch Sean Marks slowly and progressively move after move, get out of the Billy King mess Hmm. and manage to collect enough assets to do exactly what he did. There's a lot of ways to do it. And he's very smart. And I have a lot of faith in the fact that like, even though it looks like you're mortgaging the future, uh, I think, that there are there are paths there mm. are paths and i love this rockets rebuild right here i mean they turned harden and and westbrook into yeah. oladipo wall and cousins another low floor high ceiling thing i think if they can all stay healthy a lot like the nets that's a team that can be you know in like the six to four seed in the western conference if if, if everything breaks right yeah, I don't. I mean, I think last night was a little bit of a teaser for people. They're like, oh, "Look at Christian Wood anchor this team," yeah. and that, and they, you know, they're winning games. I think the Houston Rockets are going to be a a nightmare of a team in probably two to three weeks. Mm. Uh, once one injury sets in, one thing sets in, um, and it's going to go wrong this year. It's not about winning anymore. Yeah, you know, they didn't. Uh, the one thing that changed for Houston and, you know, the reason Brooklyn had to throw in this many picks was they didn't get uh, a young generational player back, 
which mm. is one of the things they said they were holding back for. So I think the plan in Houston is different now, and it's definitely based on the, uh, you know, the next couple of years moving forward and all these picks. And I'm going to be really excited to see what Nate Bjorkren does with Karis Lever. I think he's going to get more than, you know, yeah. over 20 shots a game. I just really like the idea of him playing with Malcolm Brogdon and, and Sabonis. That's a that's a true, true not a sleeper team anymore mm-hmm. because, you know, they have one of the best records in the NBA. But with, as you mentioned, all the problems the teams in the East are facing, uh, Indiana has a pretty clear path to to move to the top of the conference and stay there for most of the season. All right, Benny, while we were away, I can't believe this that I'm saying this, but the U.S. Capitol was invaded for the first time since 1812. Right-wing extremists urged at the command of their leader, I guess you could say, took to the Capitol to try to overturn the results of the 2020 election. All of this stuff, as, as I'm reading this, I'm happy that I was off the grid last week because it just seems like something that you couldn't even write in Hollywood how in 2021 we're having the U.S. Capitol invaded but you know on this podcast we always talk about tech entertainment and all of that stuff and the social media bans of Donald Trump from Facebook Twitter YouTube uh, all came down after this as people begin to distance himself from the lame duck president but the interesting thing is now, a couple months ago, we talked about John Tesh getting on Parler. And then we kind of <laughs> joked about it. We kind of joked about, what's Parler? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, yeah. apparently Parler now, well, as their, as their CEO tries to distance himself from, from any wrongdoing here uh, with Tara Swisher last week. But Parler is, seems to be the place where this right-wing conspiracy group plotted and successfully pulled off an invasion of the U.S. Capitol. So, Benny, a couple of fronts that I want to hit you with on this. A lot of people have been talking about how has big tech overstepped by suspending and kicking Donald Trump off of their platforms. And what do you make of a of the idea of true free speech on a platform when this could be a potential outcome? It's a it's a complex question with a complex answer mm. that people much smarter than me probably have the real answers to. But I think, you know, it's something we talk about a lot on here is that we're in a new time where former precedent doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And like with information at your fingertips and the ability to communicate the idea of what is free speech and what is hate speech has grossly changed. Um, You know, these podiums used to be local. They were in front of small gatherings. If you had, you know, 12 KKK guys in a county somewhere down south and they were just kind of screaming to each other and, you know, they're allowed to yell because... They're not actually doing anything, you know? They're just talking about what they're doing. Well, if you take all 12 of these guys and give them usernames and then they meet the other 12 and the other 12 and the other 12 and then, you know, hundreds of them decide to go to one place to try to, like, kidnap and kill people, well, then that podium just changed a lot. Mm. So the idea that it's like 
is there a difference in free speech between one person to one person and free speech to people with a giant podium? Who should police that? There are questions that are really, really, really complex and gray. But what I do know is that they're all private companies. They're not government agencies. And every single person who signs into one of these is giving away a part of their information, uh, is signing up for their rules and their codes of conduct when they do so. So this is where I think the conservative ideology gets really twisted when it just doesn't work in their favor. Um, because now it's a different kind of struggle. They're always talking about the protections of private business. Private business has the right to hire whoever they want, fire whoever they want, uh, pay their CEOs whatever they want if they earn it and blah, blah, blah. And just this ultimate protection for what they want to do. But now that it doesn't work in their favor, everybody wants to kick some sand in the air, you know? Um, it's almost comical sometimes to watch people who so desperately wanted to protect monopolies and corporations now having to like suckle at the teat of it and kind of, um, you know, fall for what's fall for it, I guess. And so Twitter is not like a, a government platform. It doesn't have to represent your free speech. So you have the right to get off Twitter and go on parlor. And then Amazon and Apple has the right to not carry parlor anymore and make it harder for you to find if they find it offensive. So I think the idea if a president should be banned on social media, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Obviously, it was dangerous. Obviously, it caused a lot of problems. I don't know if it causes more problems in the future for the precedent it sets. That I don't know. Mm. But I do know this is different. And I do know that this idea that just like blanket free speech and what is hate speech, like the whole idea of it needs to change because the things in our hands uh, and, you know, the things at our fingertips are changing everything about society and culture right before our eyes. And if there's anything humans tend to do, it's go way too far and fuck something up before they learn. So maybe we can take the cautionary tales before they come and slow things down a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I kind of look at it like this, right? With the whole social media thing. It's like man invents fire. Fire kind of allows, you know, evolution and you can, can cook food. But then somebody discovers that, oh, I can take this fire and burn somebody's house down and you start right. pillaging. That's, that's essentially what social media has done here of late you take that good thing and you can find the way to kind of try to pull you up because that's essentially all these people are doing is trying to better their own lives through whatever means they think is necessary but you were exactly right when you said about uh these are private companies and i the heel turn that free speech has taken as being and uh, uh, along the same lines that like kind of patriotism has right. taken over the course of these last four years as something that is like a, a a fine line between being proud of your country, proud of some, because there are a lot of places that don't have free speech in the world. And 
it just seems like the radicalization of these ideas is not at all what the founding fathers had for this. But so it kind of shows that maybe some things need to be reeled in. And the only way to possibly reel, reel in this is the fact that these are not government agencies and the fact that if something's going to hurt their bottom line and is also a danger to society, they have they're completely within their right to tell even a president, hey, not this platform, go make your own by going through the time to have to make your own and, and coming up with all of that. You know, it's kind of like how like record labels, it's like if you get signed to a label, it's legitimacy. So right. if you're on Twitter and you're in, in, in the social platform that has a, a lot of people and you can get your message out, that's more legitimacy than if Trump was trying to spew his nonsense to people on parlor. So I think that, you know, it is a defining what free speech is, is something that we've been trying to do since 1776. It just right. takes on a different vein when A, there's money involved, and B, when you have people thinking that everything is their God-given right. Right. All right, Benny, then wrapping up here on some happy news. Well, happy for some people because, you, you know, there's always my view, your view, and then there's there's the truth. But this upcoming week, the inauguration of Joe Biden is about to happen. And don't worry, before you think that we're getting political yet again, we're going to talk about some of the artists that are making their way down to Washington, D.C., passing COVID protocol and performing as part of this celebration. And, you know, there's a big reason why we're talking about this. New Jersey's own John Bon Jovi's there. New York's own Lady Gaga is going to sing the national anthem. Demi Lovato is, is involved and a whole bunch of others. So, Benny, what are you excited about? And when you're putting together kind of a, a, a program like this, what kind of artists do you think they look for as like kind of rays of hope at, so that music can kind of fit the narrative of the entire weekend? You know, these political people are a lot smarter than me. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of intention behind the people that they get. But if Trump's inauguration was any sign of things, you got to get who will come play, you know? <laughs> so so I, don't know, uh, I don't know if the DNC reached out to Toby Keith and he denied them. <laughs> Maybe, you know. Um, but I love the Gaga. Mm. Um, she kind of represents like... A lot of, uh, I don't know, I kind of see the inauguration, the way they set it up, almost the same way that they're setting up um, parts of the cabinet and stuff like that. Not That's, like I said, another story, yeah. because there's a lot of people getting appointed I could do without. But there is definitely a um, a striving from this new administration to make the White House look like America. Um, you know, and take away the old stuffy white guys in suits thing, which obviously makes up a small portion of America. Um, and they're trying to make things be more representative of what America actually is. And I think the lineup they got is kind of indicative of that. You know, they got Lady Gaga, you know, a New Yorker who's been very vocal about, you know, gay and trans rights Jennifer Lopez. Um, who else we got on there? Uh, Demi Lovato. Yep. Demi Lovato mentioned her, I think. Uh, any any rock bands? 
Oh, come on. Come on. I think. Was it Jovi? Jovi's showing up, right? John, yeah, yeah. John's there, but just John. No band. Gosh, imagine if this was the time that we had the John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora reunion. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. Listen, there's going to be like, what, 20,000 National Guard there? Yeah. I'm sure there's some good musicians out of that 20,000. Should put together a couple National Guard bands, you know? I believe that already exists. That's called Three yeah. Goes Down, right? No, a little, no, just, a little cover series. <laughs> Play just songs about America. I don't know. All right, Benny. So if if Gaslight Anthem was slated to play the inauguration, uh-huh. and you only get one song from the entire catalog, what song Ooh. do you think would be the best one? Oh man, I mean, you know, right off, <sighs> it's. All right, all right, talk to me here. Am I thinking more for the TV audience or the live audience? It's got to be both, but I, I think in this particular scenario, it's probably more, more for TV since most people probably can't be there. Here's one of my issues. is yeah. The song that would come to mind would obviously be American Slang, right. but that happens to be one of my least favorite songs to play live because of its rhythmic monotonous nature Mm. which i don't think would play well to people who don't know the group yeah so that being said i don't know i guess (laughs) for a presidential inauguration definitely get hurt (laughs) (laughs) maybe that could be a little slight just like yeah you're gonna fuck us i don't care who you are Well, we've all certainly been hurt the past four years, but we want to hear your recommendations. Email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. If you want to talk about, you know, what Gaslight song you think would be played at Inauguration, KD, any of that stuff, the inbox is always open. Find all of our content at thetuneuphq on Twitter and Instagram. And new for 2021, hey, we're on YouTube. This entire show, the entire video, it's there. Oh, subscribe no. do all of that stuff um Should have shaved we're we're all there it's gonna be great um j- join us for the party as we try to get to a thousand subscribers that that's the goal for the time being and then just build up from there if you want to get in touch with the big man on social media he is at benny horowitz one number one in your mind number one in your heart number one on twitter i am at benny underscore gallagher benny you got anything else i like this video thing denny you're going to make me, as me and the kids have been talking about, getting some meat off my bones. So this is a good impetus, you putting me on video. There's yeah. nothing that drives a man like vanity. <laughs> Don't I know it. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>